as I announced to you, we are looking at the Sword of the Spirit some more. Probably spend two or three more weeks on it. We're going to be looking at that so far as I was compiling the list, I came up with six tactics that I see the enemy using to keep us from turning what God has spoken into a sword of the Spirit. Either what God has already spoken to us or what God will speak to us. So we're going to take on three of these tonight. As I compiled it all, it is quite a bit. So I don't know if we'll get through it all. So if we decide to bail out on the third one and just do two tonight, then we'll do two and we'll look at another couple of tactics later. However we do that. But if you have been reading along in your scriptures, you would be reading out of Acts chapter 2. Did anyone notice the sword of the Spirit in operation in Acts chapter 2? Give everybody a few moments to, to think about something. You don't have to say anything out loud, and of course those people that are online won't be able to, but you can begin to, to think of some things from it. But it was very evident to have a sword of the Spirit in that Peter spoke the written word with revelation that affected the kingdom of the enemy in that 3,000 people came to the Lord and the Spirit of God was poured out on the flesh and people got baptized in the Spirit. That is the sword of the Spirit. That is taking what was written in the word, getting revelation on it and speaking out of your mouth he spoke the rhema word of God that God had given him for that time, and it affected the people that he, that he preached to. So it wasn't just to the rhema sword of the Spirit is not just to affect healing, prosperity, finances, things for your own life. There he used it to affect something for the kingdom of God. So I just wanted to throw that out to you as we're reading that to see if anyone had noticed that the Spirit or the, the uh, sword of the Spirit was in use in Acts chapter 2. But last week we were looking at that when confronting the enemy, our goal is not just to speak the Lagos word or the written word that we know, but to receive and speak the rhema word that God gives to us, that he will speak revelation knowledge, revelation understanding of what is written in the word to turn what is written into what is spoken. And then it becomes the rhema word to us. It could be through revealed understanding of Scripture, as we saw with Daniel, that he received an understanding of Scripture, and that affected the way that he prayed for his nation. There is, um, we saw the sword in action can be understood as a word spoken about your future or purpose. And we looked at a lot of things going on with the life of Jesus on that. Another situation you are praying for, Revelation on Scripture and a word spoken to you as in an assignment. And we looked at examples for all these in the, um, in the time we were on this last week. But here, we're going to take a look at three tactics that the enemy uses to take what, it, what could be a rhema word in your life and make it useless. The first thing, the first tactic that he will do is found in Acts 27, 9 through 12. Acts 27, 9 through 12, 12. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman 
and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So that is a that is a passage there. Now, before we we let's dive into this just a little bit, and we'll go back and take a look at the other examples that we have in your in your outline. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded. Paul spoke out of what God had said to him. It was a, something the Spirit revealed. He just called it perceived, but it's still a spiritual perception. It's something he picked up in his spirit. He perceived it. He spoke out of that perception. Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster. He doesn't say, I think. He is referring to, I perceive in my spirit, I'm getting something from God, that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. But it says the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. There are a number of things we can look at in, the, in our lives that persuade us, that cause us to think that something is, is sure. In this particular example, the centurion was looking at the expertise of the people involved. He looked at the expertise of the uh, captain of the boat and the expertise of Paul. He decided the expertise of someone who was on the water, who understood these things, was... Uh, preferred to that of Paul. So expertise sometimes is something that we use to decide, should I be persuaded? Because what the enemy wants to do is to take the, the word that God has spoken to you and cause it to become uncertain. I am uncertain. I am uncertain of a couple of things. First off, I'm unsure it's genuinely from God or intended for me. I am unsure it is genuinely from God or intended for me. He's okay with either one of these things. If he can get you to question whether the word that you receive, the revelation you received, is from God, if you question that, then you will become uncertain on the word. If you understand that it is from God, but maybe is not necessarily intended for me, I then become uncertain. It is not a certain word. And so this is one of the goals that he will try and do is to get this to be uncertain. So Paul speaks this. The person who needs to listen is uncertain. He's unsure that what Paul is speaking is something that he needs to listen to. And so he doesn't listen. He listens to the other people because they have more expertise. The, there's also the owner of the ship. Well, he's got skin in the game. Sometimes we listen to people more if they're invested if they've got skin in the game, so to speak, if they've got their money on the line, if they've got somehow the, they're involved in the thing. Uh, this, for this particular thing, he put more emphasis on someone who had the ownership of the ship than someone who was a passenger on the ship. We could also look at the track record. What is the track record of this person? What is the track record of even myself and how well I hear from God on these particular matters? I may feel real good I hear God on revelation in this area, but not so much on this area. And so that can cause me to be uncertain. The, the devil may come up and he say, well, you know, you've missed it when you try to listen to God on finances before. When you try to listen to God on healing before, you've missed it. You could be missing it on this one. 
and I can become uncertain. I can be certain that someone else is hearing, but I'm not certain that I'm hearing. And so I become uncertain on that word, and it affects how that I will go out there and do that. Uh, natural conditions. There are just natural conditions. And that's in this story, this is one of the things that we saw. They looked at, well, this harbor is not a good one for us to winter in. This one over here is better. So let's go on over to this one. They looked at natural conditions. Sometimes God may speak to us a word. He may speak to us something, and we look at the natural conditions that are going around. Well, does this make sense? How many listen to the Rick Renner teaching I put up on money? Anybody? Anybody, the people that are here, anybody get to listen to that yet? I've got a couple. Uh, I always appreciate feedback from people. i got a couple of text messages already. People I got to listen to and got to hear some of the stories. In that video, you will see he will tell you two situations that he could, one, he could have been influenced by natural things, and the other one, he was influenced by natural things, by the things that were going on around. So if you haven't listened to that yet, I'm not going to take the punch out of it. It was a great story. I appreciated hearing that story when I heard it years ago, and um, you can certainly uh, benefit from, from hearing that. But the natural conditions, I look at the natural conditions that are going on around me, does this word seem to make sense with what I see happening? God says, don't do this, but it looks like everything is fine. God says, go ahead and do this, but it looks like everything's going to fall apart. And look at the natural conditions. This, is, this can affect, affect how I uh, view the certainty of the word that I've been given. Reasoning. We can begin to reason inside. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. How is this going to have any effect on this part over here? How is this going to do anything for, for this part? I just don't understand how that can be. How is it that filling vats full of water is going to have any effect for their situation with the wine? And can, we can just reason this thing out. If we reason it out, we can talk ourselves out of the certainty of the Word of God. Um, inward witness. How confident am I on the inward witness that the Spirit of God speaks to me? And we learn this in little things. The more little things that I listen to the voice of God on, and I get to know, hey, I hit, hit that one. That was the voice of God. That was God speaking to me. All right. When we hit those little things, then when the big thing comes, we're ready for it. And the other is knowing God's voice. The Word of God says, my sheep know my voice. I was listening to somebody uh, uh, last week or, or so, and they were teaching on it, that we are sheep. The Word of God says that uh, my sheep know my voice. If you belong to God, you are able you are made to hear his voice. It's not something you have to develop. If you are his sheep, you are made to learn, to hear, to understand his voice. So don't think, well, God, I, I just need you to help me to be. No, you don't need God to help you to hear his voice. You are his sheep. If you are his sheep, you are able to hear his voice. And you've got to walk in that. Sometimes we may think, that because I didn't hear it very strong, I can't be very certain. And you've got to get that out of your head. It doesn't matter how strong it was that you heard, you can be very certain that it is God. Brother Hagen had hit us when we were down at school, and I constantly hear him, uh, some of the video teaching I hear him do, reiterate this with you. The word that God shares with you is as strong as the opposition that you will face. But there will always be a step of faith. 
times, where he does not give you great revelation when you're just going to face a small battle. The stronger the revelation, the greater the opposition that's in front. He used to teach us, he said, when I get that still small voice that leaves me, I'm jumping for joy. I'm the glory to God, because that means there's not a whole lot of opposition ahead. When I get those visions, and I, or you get an angel that appears before you, that means great opposition is in front of you, and you need a great revelation to carry you through. And you'll see that all through the Word of God. The greater the vision, the greater the revelation, the greater the opposition that came against those people. So uh, be glad when you can just follow that still small voice. That's not a bad thing at all. There will remain the aspect of faith that we can't sidestep or use as an excuse to not yield. Always keep that in mind. Some other examples for this. Moses. He was uncertain. He's before a burning bush and he is uncertain that this word is for him mostly because it's not wanted by him. He don't want it. Sometimes I don't want the word and I can become uncertain because I don't want the word. I don't want to do it. I don't want to be obedient to it. I don't want it. (laughs) And that was Moses. He's got the burning bush. God's speaking to him from the burning bush, but he doesn't want the word. I don't want to go. I don't want to be obedient. I don't want to do this thing. I want to stay here in the wilderness, raise these sheep, and die. <laughs> Just stay here. That's all I want to do. And God said, uh-uh. Get out there. I want you to do this thing. I need you to do this thing. I, you, you, you're called to this. He doesn't want it. Sometimes we just simply don't want the word and we become uncertain about it or we say we're uncertain because I don't want it. That's all there is to it. I don't want to do it. Therefore, I'm going to play like I don't think it's for me. Again, we are unsure it's genuinely from God or if we get past that, the devil can't question you. You know this is from God. Is it actually intended for you? Zechariah, it's certainly not for me. When God gave him that revelation, you and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby. No, I was ready for a baby years ago. I'm old now. I don't want to be chasing no little kid around the, the house. That could be one of the things that he's thinking. I was ready for this baby when, you know, 30 years ago when I was a younger man. I'm not ready to be chasing these kids around the house now. I see what people go through. And uh, I don't have the energy for that. I'm not going to be able to keep up with this. I don't want this. I wanted it before, but I don't want it now. And so we may go over a thing. The word that came, it is certainly not for me. I don't want that. I don't need that. And here in this one, in the centurion, when Paul spoke to him, it's not qualified enough for me. So these are some of the things that the devil will do in battling it. To get it to be, get us to be unsure that first off it's generally from God or intended for me. He'll convince us, you don't want this. He'll tell you, this is certainly not for you. You don't want to be walking in these kind of things. You don't want to be going after all this. Or, well, how qualified is that word? How can you be sure? You know, you're supposed to test the spirits, make sure that they're of God. How qualified is this word? And so he'll get us to, to question those things. So that's one of the things that we will do is that the enemy, to combat the sword, he will get you to be uncertain of the word that you heard. Uncertain of the rainbow word that was spoken to you about that particular thing. 
Second thing is an untruthful word. An untruthful word. First off, he will corrupt what we receive, what we recall, or how we walk in it. He wants to corrupt that word that you got. He wants to take what God spoke, which was truthful, and he wants to make it into an untruthful word. In order to do that, he's got to corrupt it. He's going to corrupt what we receive. He wants to corrupt what we heard from God. If he can't corrupt what you heard from God, if he can't get you to mishear it or misinterpret what God says, then he wants to have you misrecall it. We're thinking back, well, what did, what did God actually say? And we may remember it incorrectly because he'll help us to remember it incorrectly. So he's going to corrupt what we receive, what we recall, or if he can't do that, he's going to corrupt you in how you walk in it. And here we got a few examples on, on this one. And I've got examples for all three. There are three areas here. Receive, recall, and walk. First one is on the reception end. This is Jehoshaphat. First Kings 22, 6-8, and Second Kings 3, 6-14. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not my king say such things. And so then they went out and they got him. Now, some of these people, some of these prophets that were there, they were not prophesying in the name of Baal. They were prophesying in the name of Jehoshaphat. But Je I'm sorry, in the name of Jeho Jehovah. But Jehoshaphat was picking up. There's something not right here with this. So they call in the, the, the new guy, Micaiah. And when he comes in, you remember the, the confrontation? Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go when he left me to speak to you? And Micaiah says, you'll see when he, if he comes back and he's alive, then God did not speak to me. But they constantly kept going out there. With these horns you will gore the en enemies of God. And they were speaking in the name of Jehovah, but it was false. What the enemy is trying to do is to get your receiver off. He's going to be speaking some other things so that what you hear the Spirit of God say is not said by the Spirit of God. That's the first thing he's going to try and do. What you receive. How many times have you seen people out there, they're receiving something from God, and you're saying, my God didn't say that. There's, there's no way my God would have said that. Uh-uh. That's not happening. Second Kings 3, 6, you would think that Jehoshaphat would have learned a lesson in teaming up with the king of Israel, but he didn't. He decided to go after Ahab's son and team up with him. So King, uh, verse 6 of 2 Kings, chapter 3, So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on a roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. Now, when we spent time on this passage before, 
you know there's basically two ways they could have gone. One was a direct way, and one was a roundabout way. They chose the roundabout way. Go the roundabout way, you've got to have a lot more water and a lot more food to make up for all those days that you're out there. I guess they had counted on finding some water, and they did not find any. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now, first off, the only king that is there that is of the Lord is Jehoshaphat. But they still have, they're, they're still trying to bring God's name in this. Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Many times people come up with these kind of words. They speak these things out. And it's like God said this to him. God didn't say it. God didn't do this. But they're attributing things to God that he didn't do or didn't plan. They planned it. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Seems to be a common theme here with Jehoshaphat. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel... And Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Now, Elisha was a prophet to the northern tribes, not the southern tribes. So he speaks, speaks to the king of Israel, not because of his standing with God, but because that's where he was sent. Just as uh, Elijah was sent to the northern tribes, Elisha followed in his footsteps and he was going to the northern tribes as well. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them to the hand of Moab. That's not true, but he's so convinced of it that he is even saying it, quoting it to a prophet. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. So, the, the delivery here. God is, is uh, willing to give us words, but so is the enemy trying to bring words in. And so, the enemy has slipped the word into the king of Israel. And he's told him something. This is what God's trying to do. And he swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. And then Elisha comes along. If you want to keep on reading the story, you can go back and you can see the rest of that. Elisha says, bring me a musician. They bring a musician. He prophesies some things. And this is, I believe, the story where they're going to dig the ditches. And then the water comes, fills up the ditches, and then the great uh, uh, army that is there begins to uh, kill themselves. And Anyway, it's a, it's a good story. We're not going to cover all that here today. We're just looking at this particular aspect of it. Now, I wrote down in there Adam. Adam in Genesis uh, 3, we see that this is uh, an attack on the recall of what God has said. They heard what God said. At least Adam did. They know what the word of God was. So he said in verse 3, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. This is chapter 3, verse 1, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That's not what God said. He knows it. But he throws this out. He gets the, the woman, says some things that's not quite right. And he, he works on that. And he begins to uh, jump on that. And she says, no, we can eat from all the trees, but we're not allowed to eat from this tree, the one in the center of the garden, or nor touch it. Well, he didn't say that. And so once he was able to do that, no, no, just go up and touch that. See, nothing happened to you. Now go ahead and eat it. Because God knows in the day that you eat of it, you're going to become just like him. You'll be as God, knowing both good and evil. 
And so she did it. But you see, they knew what God said. They received the word from God. That wasn't corrupted. What was corrupted is the recall of what God had said. Here's the fourth one, Jeroboam, in 1 Kings 12, 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice, made two calves of gold, and said to the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. We didn't make these gods until right now. We didn't make these idols until right now, but somehow they were effective way back then. Now this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines of the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. And of course it goes on and talks about it, but God had spoken to him, if you will follow after me, if you will do as David did, I will make of you an enduring house the same way I made of him an enduring house. If you do all that I command, do not turn to the right or to the left. Well, he, uh, he knows what God had said, but he doesn't believe that it's going to happen the way that God said it. So it's affecting his walk. And he's got this idea. This idea pops in his head. Well, these people are going to leave me. That's the enemy throwing some thoughts in there. And he's going to take the rainbow word that he was given and neutralize it. Because all he had to do was turn around to that thought that said the people are going to forsake you and they're going to kill you all you had to do was go there, the Lord said. And, and quote to him exactly what the Lord had said. That would have been his ramus sword. That would have been what he would have used against the enemy, and it would have brought victory for him. He didn't do it. He entertained the thought. So therefore, his shield was down too. He did not have the shield of faith up. He did not have faith in what God had said. He did not have faith in God being able to do what he said. He had faith, more faith in the people doing what they said. You want to get right into it? He also took his helmet off because he decided, I am not going to serve under the plan that God has and I'm going to do my own thing. That was Jeroboam. That affected, that's how he walked. He didn't walk in it the way he was supposed to walk in it. There was the unknown prophet who was sent to Jeroboam in 1 Kings 13, 15. Then he, then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. Now we're jumping here in the middle of the story. You probably remember it. He said the same thing to King Jeroboam. And uh, this, he's saying it now to the older prophet. Repeating the words. He had, this is the word. This is what God had spoken to him. I cannot return with you, nor can I go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He knows the word. He has recalled the word of God perfectly. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in the house and drank water. You know the story. The old prophet got another word from God and said, you're going to die now. <laughs> and so they got up, sat on his donkey. He went on home, lying, tore him apart and uh, killed him, but didn't uh, eat the body, didn't kill the donkey. And people from Israel were 
were remark remarking at this. You see, it affected the way he walked. He knew the Word of God. He received the Word of God. He believed the Word of God. He turned down a king. He recalled the Word of God perfectly. But you see, somebody came along and altered the way that he was walking in the Word of God. Well, all right, you've been walking in that, but you see, God saw how faithful you were, and so he sent me along so that we could do this thing. No, this is the word that was spoken to you. You need to operate in it. And it took the sword of the Spirit that was in his hands that he was using against the enemy. Because remember, the king wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill this prophet. And he sent it, put out his hand to kill him, and his hand became leprous. The man was armed. And he prayed for him, and his hand was restored. And now suddenly the king wants to reward him because he had his armor on. He had faith in his God to bring him through. And he knew what the word of God was, and he kept using that sword. He kept speaking that word that was there. But then this older prophet came, and he didn't speak that word out anymore. Judas, what word? We don't know what word he had, but he was given some kind of a word to him to follow Jesus because you just don't uproot your life and follow a man who says, follow me, without some kind of a word from God. Somehow God spoke to him and said, now follow him. And he did it. But somehow what was given to him, he let it go. And he began to think wrong things about Jesus. And he began to... Uh, uh, steal the money from Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't even know I'm stealing the money. How can he be Messiah if he doesn't even know I'm stealing the money? And then he began to be judgmental in the things that Jesus did. How does Jesus let this thing go? Why wasn't this uh, fragrant oil sold? And then he decides, I'm going to betray Jesus. But he had to let something go in order to get to that spot. The Galatian saints in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? you, that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Paul came, gave them revelation. They received that revelation, forsook the lives that they had lived, the idolatrous lives, and they followed after God. They became born again. And then someone came along and told them, oh, you're, you're doing this wrong, though. You need to, to go after God by the law. And Paul writes them a letter. I am amazed at how quickly you have forsaken the things that, that we taught you. We taught you how to walk in this right, and you have forsaken it. They had a rhema word from God. There was the written word, but it becomes something that was revealed to them, and they were walking in that revelation. Paul left them walking in the revelation of what the New Testament was about, what their life of grace was about. He left them with that revelation. They had that understanding. They walked out of it. And he said, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? So that's the second area, the second tactic that the enemy wants to try and do. And again, he will corrupt what we receive as far as a rhema word from God. He will corrupt how we recall that rhema word from God. And he will corrupt in how we walk in it. That's why it's so important that when God speaks things to you, write it down. Get it into a written format and write down exactly what he said. Not what you understand what he said. I want, you, you, just, you need to write down exactly what he said. Because your understanding of it can really 
become estranged. You are not to walk in the light of what you understand God to have said. You are to walk in the light of what He said. That is the rhema word. That is the sword of the Spirit. That's what we're supposed to. And so this one, the third one here, this is one that's going to be uh, a little lengthy, but we've got enough time here. I'm pretty sure we can, we can get this taken care of. And this is an unnecessary word. Here's where we downplay its importance. Well, I understand the Word of God said that, I understand I have revelation of what God said in His Word. I have revelation of what God spoke to me about this situation, but I don't think it's that important. David took a census of Israel in 1 Chronicles 21, 1-4. We have this. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. We used this verse before and showed you this is spiritual warfare. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord the king are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a guilt, a, a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Now, this thing is so well known that you are not supposed to do it that Joab knows that you're not supposed to do it. Joab is not the most spiritual of people, but he knows this is wrong. The reason that it's wrong is that in those times, a man only had the right to count or number what belonged to him. Israel did not belong to David. Israel belongs to God. In Exodus chapter 30 and verse 12, God told this to Moses, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. So what he is saying here is, if I, the Lord, call for a census, and the census is going on, every man needs to give an offering. If you don't, there will be a plague. If you go on to the rest of the chapter, you'll see what the offering is entailed. And they had an offering for the poor. They had an offering for the rich. The rich paid more. The poor paid less. But it was specifically said, this is what they will pay. This is what the offering that they will bring. This is what is needed. That offering did not go on. No, I don't know what happened in that day. I'm sure a lot of people knew what this word was. And they said, wait a minute, if we're taking a census of all of us, we're supposed to be an offering we're supposed to put out. Maybe some people said, well, I can't stop the king from doing this, but I can put my offering out there, and maybe they would have been protected from whatever it is that came down upon it. That's not in Scripture, so I don't know that it was. But in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So he knew, I'm not supposed to do this. The enemy wanted to have an account, a, a reason against uh, Israel. So it moved David against Israel. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolish, very foolishly. And if we had time to get into the rest of the story, <clears throat> we could. God said, well, look, I'm going to give you three things. Three things will befall the land. You choose which one. And David said, I can't choose. You'll have to choose. <laughs> I can't do that. But just don't let me fall into the hands of my enemy. And so that eliminated one of them. So he left God to choose the, 
from one of the other two. In First um, Samuel 15, we have a rhema word that is spoken to Saul. Saul does not speak this word, and it causes trouble because he doesn't speak it. First Samuel 15, 1 through 3, I'm only reading parts of this. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. He's going all the way back to the trip from Egypt. We're going to, we're going to take care of this. Now go and attack Amalek. And now look at this. Utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. Both kill, uh, kill, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. That's the word that was spoken. That is the rhema word that is spoken to Saul. Verse 7, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hivalah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good, all that they deemed to be good, and were, look at this, unwilling to utterly destroy them. Now, verse 9 starts out, but Saul and the people. It is not just Saul. It is Saul and the people. Either the people spoke to Saul, Saul spoke to some of the people, somewhere the thought is, is sown, they begin to talk about it. Should we really wipe out all this stuff? Look at these sheep. Look at these oxen. Look at these uh, lambs. Look at all this stuff. This is good stuff here. Why should we just destroy it? And we're unwilling to destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Their willingness seemed to depend on the value they had of the thing to be destroyed and not the value that they had on the word that was spoken. This is a lot of times where we get in trouble. We put more value on the things instead of the word. We have to value the word more than the things that word spoke against or that word said something about. They were unwilling to destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Saul didn't know this, but there was a word that was given to him. God knew there is going to be a temptation to pull Saul out from the anointing of God. There is going to be a temptation to pull Saul out from operating as God's man and king 
and get him to operate independently of God. So God sent his prophet and gave him exactly what he needed to overcome that. Saul did not realize he was engaging in the battle that he was. All he thought was, there's some really good stuff here. We could lose this. We could benefit if we keep it. He did not realize the value of what he was losing. And so he did not value the word that God spoke. And because he did not value it, he did not speak it. He did not say, the word of the Lord said, we shall utterly destroy all the people, all the lambs, all the oxen, all the sheep. He, did not, he does not say what the Lord said. If he would have spoken up, if some of the people came to Saul and said, Saul, we got an idea, happen if we take some of this stuff back. The word of the Lord said. It wouldn't have mattered the people said the word of the Lord. Who had to speak the word of the Lord was the king because as we saw in the passage with David, the king's word prevailed. It's the same thing with Saul. The king's word would prevail. If the king whom the prophet spoke to and gave the rhema word, if he would have stood up and spoke it, that rhema word would have been a sword of the spirit and would have destroyed the attack the enemy made against Saul and consequently the land of Israel. Because of this, the land of Israel went through a lot of hard times. David was called in. There was a battle between the Lord's formerly anointed and the Lord's currently anointed. And Israel suffered. Because this king still had charge of the land, he used all its forces to chase after what was his enemy and left the borders open. And the children of Israel suffered because the Philistines would come in over the borders and raid them. There was a lot of evil that came from this because he was given a sword and decided not to use it. Because what I could lose in the way of stuff was more valuable than the word that God gave him. But let's go on to the big story. Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Everybody remembers Josiah, great reformer? Turned the Israel from following after the things of, of evil into the way of following after God. He is the king of Judah. That this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, this is the word that came to Jeremiah. The word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord spoke. Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations from the day I have spoken, I have spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to this day. Sounds like the book of Jeremiah. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way and I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Maybe if they see the whole thing all at once, maybe they would decide to turn from their evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called, now that tells you right there, there's hope, there's a possibility that they could be forgiven. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote, on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, 
saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instructions, the word to the Lord, and the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book of the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. I'm going to jump on down to chapter 36, verse 1 through 8. When, Mike, when Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard the words of the Lord from the book, he then went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and there all the princes were sitting. Elishima, the scribe, Deliah, the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore, all the princes sent Jehuda, the son of Nathaniah, the son of Shalemiah, the son of Cushai, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them, and they said to him, Sit down now and read in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Now it happened when they heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another and said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words? At his instruction? So Baruch answered them, he proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then the princess said to Baruch, Go and hide you, hide you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. So he's read it to two different groups so far, and every one of them has received the word that came from God and is ready to repent and is shocked at what is going on and is in fear of what could happen to their country. Verse 20. And they went to the king into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi, Jehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. So we're reading it to the king. This is the son of Josiah who knows the ways of God, because Josiah would have taught it to him. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. So the king lets the entire word be read. He hears it, and he burns it as it goes. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. Nevertheless, 
Elnathan, Deliah, Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiah, the king's son, Sariah, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdel, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now this goes on, and Jeremiah will be instructed to do the whole thing again, write it all down again. And so they did, and they went and they wrote the whole thing down just as it was, and this one they were supposed to put away. This one they were supposed to hide. Now in this, what we, what we see, this is an unnecessary word. This is a word that is spoken, but I don't need to hear it. I don't need to yield to it. I don't need to obey it. It's unnecessary. It's unneeded. It has no application for me. So these are the three things. The word may be from God, but I judge that it is not important to me to obey. How many times do we see Christians today that hear, this is what the word of God says, but it's not important for me to obey. I can do it differently than what the, the word of God has, has said. So we have a written word, a written command, a written desire of God, and they receive a rhema word, so-called rhema word, that tells them, I can do differently. Because God does not expect that of me today. God does not expect me to live like that today. It is okay if I live this way. It's okay if I do this. They have received a false word. So they are therefore saying that this word that goes against the word that I understand, the word that I want to obey, this word is unnecessary for me. And that will take away the sword of the Spirit from their hand. I'm going to wrap this up here for you. If the rhema word I have is uncertain to me, I will be uncertain using it in battle. If the word of God is in any way uncertain to me, if I'm not sure that God said it, if I'm not sure that God spoke it to me, if I'm not sure that it's for me, I will be uncertain using it in battle. You'll see this with people who say, well, I know the Lord heals, but I don't know that the Lord will heal me. I've seen that the Lord has healed other people, but because I have had a, a certain amount of failure in this, I don't know that the Lord wants to heal me. So I become uncertain in that, and I'm not necessarily using that in battle. Can you think of people you know who were uncertain that Jesus is their healer? Or have become uncertain that Jesus has actually forgiven them? Or have become uncertain that they can actually wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ? That God sees them as the righteousness of Jesus and not the righteousness of what their works are. Can we see people in our lives that are uncertain of these things? What happens is the enemy has taken the sword of the Spirit right out of their hands. And they do not have the sword of the Spirit. In the beginning when Paul said this, he said, Take up the whole armor of God. If you go into the battle and only have one or two pieces, or you're missing one or two pieces, you will not be complete. And you will not be walking in the victory that God has intended you to walk in. And if you can take the sword of the Spirit out of your hand because you are uncertain about something, He will neutralize that in your life. The second thing is corrupted. 
if the word that God speaks to me becomes corrupted, it will become broken in battle. That sword won't hold up. I'll try and use that sword in battle and it will break because it has become corrupted. I made this little note here. How will a sword of the Spirit that has become corrupted attach itself to the belt of truth? Because the belt of truth has a spot for the sword to hold. So it's there when you go into battle. The Roman was not Roman soldier was not carrying the sword in his hand the entire time. He had it hooked onto his belt. So it was always with him. And then when he needed it, he pulled it out. I am not always speaking the rhema word of God, but it's there with me. And whenever I need it, whenever something comes against me, I pull out that rhema word that he spoke to me, and I speak it to that thing. That Saul could have done. David could have done. All these others, they could have used it. They could have done these things but they did not do it because the word had become corrupted. Can you think of people who corrupted teaching on the power of your words or on the prosperity, making it more like gluttony or covetousness or the meaning of not being under law? Can you think of people that have taught things that have corrupted such teachings? Sometimes we get the idea, the way that some people teach this, is that it's the power of positive confession that changes things. Not learning how to use a rhema sword. Some people teach some things on prosperity that have become more like gluttons coveting the things that other people have. And how many people are corrupting the meaning that we are not under law, not understanding that there is still a will of God and out of the will of God. Because the sword has become corrupted. And when they try to use it in battle, it will not hold up. And the third one, unnecessary to me, if the word that is spoken, if the Raymer word that is spoken to me is deemed as unnecessary to me, I will not honor it in battle. If I don't honor it in battle, I won't use it. I won't speak it. And that's what we saw in those examples. It became unnecessary to them. They didn't use it. They didn't speak it. Because they didn't honor it. Can you think of people who downplayed the importance of what God said to them last week for what they are feeling this week? Have you ever seen people do that? You see them one Sunday in church, they come into church, oh, I'm so excited this week. The Lord spoke this to me. I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to accomplish. I'm supposed to. And then you see them a week, two weeks later. How's that going for you? Oh, well, I didn't feel that I was really supposed to do that after all. But I thought God spoke that to you. Well, I thought he had spoken it to me. You know, I've, but I, it just, it didn't seem to be what he was actually wanting me to do. And a lot of times it's because as he spoke it to me and I got involved in the battle, I found out, whoa, this is something else. I'm taking on a whole lot more than I wanted to take on. I know God told me to get involved with this, but I don't want to be taking all this stuff on and I don't feel like I should have to. Why is it that I have to take on this battle and no one else is? Why is it I have to stand here and take all this attack and no one else is? 
uh, no, you know what? I don't think that's so necessary for me. I think um, I, I just don't feel that what I thought I heard is actually uh, something I need to operate in. That's unnecessary for me. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it. I know. Last week I was convinced. I knew that this was this is the way I was supposed to do. But this week I'm just not feeling it. Or maybe they saw that the application of what God had revealed to them was too hard for them to keep up. It's too hard for them to do. I'll tell you what, there's, there's things, when we hit that spot and what God told us to do becomes difficult, but we stay with it and we keep speaking it out. And we keep saying what God has told me to say. I don't let it go. I don't give in to the thing that's not necessary for me. That is an unnecessary word of my I know God spoke this to me. I'm having some difficulty, but this is what I need to do. This is where I need to, to go. It is where it's when we run into those times of difficulty, but we stay with it. That's where you see some breakouts going on. When you saw Paul go through the difficulties. Coming through the difficulties, you see him coming to some phenomenal breakthroughs. He may have had difficulty in, some, in Athens when he was there, but he had a phenomenal breakthrough when he got through that and came over into, into Corinth. He may have had some difficulties in Philippi, but when he came out of that and he went into the next town, we, had, we see breakthroughs that he had in these places and the people were receiving the word. You're going to have some difficult times. Don't don't shake the difficult times. This is where the sword of the Spirit will be at work for you. You may recall that um, how many, a couple of years ago, it's been a, it's been a few years now that, um, that I had shared this with you, the, the rhema word, and I went over it enough weeks that you all know the rhema word that God had spoken to me, that I had the doctor's report who said, you're done running. You will not run again. That's the doctor actually told me. I see the x-rays. I see the, the stuff. On, you will not run again. And um, I, I set out to do what I didn't even know that I, had, I was on a plan. But I was on riding a bike for, uh, I think, over a year, year and a half, just riding a bike, just riding the bike, doing the bike thing. Then it dropped in my spirit. Run, but no more than two miles. And I was given a certain amount of days, and I ran. No more than two. I mean, I would stop at 1.99. I'd see that. If I wasn't home yet, I'd stop. I walked the rest of it. I did not run. I just, nope, I'm gonna, this is what it was spoken to me to do. And as far as I knew, that was all I was going to get. I was not given any promise. But then I was, it dropped in my spirit, run five to six miles, five days a week, and bike once or twice. Four or five days a week, and then bike once or twice. And so I did that. And um, this is where the breakthrough came. I know I shared this part of it with you at least once, but you all know running is not difficult for me. I love to run. Absolutely. Can, it's holding me back to only do five or six miles. Holding me back. But there was this one time, and in the month of March in the year 2020, I went through a battle that put me on the sofa for 10 days that um, I wasn't able to get up. And they put me on some medication. And that medication wreaked havoc in my body. I have never had a medication wreak more havoc in my body than this particular medication they gave me. It was not that strong of a medication. It's just my body did not like it. But I'd gotten over whatever the thing was that I had, 
and I was starting to move around, and I still had that word, run, four or five days a week, five to six miles, and ride the bike. For the first time in my entire life, it was difficult for me to run. It was so difficult, I didn't look forward to it. I dreaded going out there and running. In fact, most days, I couldn't get past four miles. I did everything I could to get past. John was out there. He was running with me. And I'd get up to about the three-mile, four-mile, and I didn't want to hold him back. I said, John, I can't go any further. Cannot go any further. Just go on. I'll, I'll walk at home. I could not go anymore. But I get out the, the next day, I'm out there again. I'm going to run five or six. And I kept pushing for that. I kept pushing. I am going to get this thing done. That was the rainbow word. I kept speaking the rainbow word. Run five to six miles. I kept speaking that out that whole time I was going through. And when I came on through that and got, got to the other side, I got, my, I got the release and I started adding miles on. John even told me. Uh, later on that month, he said, Steve, I have never seen you run like this. To the point that I think last year, in order to hit my goal, because we were having some, some difficulties in it, I ran just about 1,000 miles in three months in order to hit the goal. I kept that pace going to the beginning of this year. Had to take off some time in March because there was some mystery thing that was going on, and uh, got back into the, into the, uh, the, uh, the line. And today, I passed my goal of running the year, 2,000, 22 miles, the earliest I have ever done it in my recorded history. And remember, this all started when the doctor said, you will never run again. But you see, I just took the rhema word that was there. And no matter what the opposition kept speaking it. But I saw a change when I faced that difficulty. And then every day I got up. I'm not going to stop this. I'm going to keep going out there and keep going out. I didn't want to go. I couldn't wait for the run to be over. Everything about it was nasty. There was nothing pleasant. There was nothing good. There was no enjoyment. But you keep pressing through. What you will find out is instead of hitting these spots where you think, well, that word must not be necessary for me because you hit some difficulties. No, you stay with it. Did God speak that to you? Are you certain that God had spoken it to you? Don't let go of that certainty. Don't let it become corrupted. Remember what it is that he said. Go back. Write it down. Speak it to yourself. Say it to you. This is what God spoke to me. This is what he said to me. If you have it written down, go back and look at it. This is what he said. I got that in my spirit. Write down one you got it in your spirit. And keep speaking that thing out. That is your rhema word. That is not your logos word. There is, there is good in confessing the Word, but it is not the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is speaking what God has spoken to you. It may be something He spoke to you about the written Word, but when He speaks it to you and it comes down in your spirit, three of the things that the enemy is going to try and do is to first off, make it to become uncertain. Secondly, get it to become corrupted. It's going to get it to be untruthed. Untruth. The, the, the truth is not there. You've got to take away that truth that was in there. What God spoke to you was 100% truth. Now you mix in a little bit of something else that's no longer 100% truth. He's going to try and corrupt it. And the third thing, he's going to try and make it unnecessary. 
This is not something that you need to do. You're having a really hard time getting this thing done. You can see that it's going to benefit you more if you don't do it this way, like Saul did. You're going to see it as being unnecessary. Don't listen. Don't give into it. You keep the sword of the Spirit working in your life. Because if you will, you will see the victory. Don't let it be corrupted. Don't let it become unnecessary to you, and do not let it become uncertain. Stay with these things. Well, Father, I thank you for the words that you have spoken to us in our life. We will treat those words with great reverence because you spoke them to us. Some of them came out of revelation from your written word. And you made it become alive to us. And we saw how that was to be used in our life. And you want us to speak it out. We have to say it with our mouths. Father, I thank you that we will overcome the enemy with the rhema word that you had given us. We will not let it become questioned. We will be certain. We will not let untruth be mixed in. We will not let it become corrupted. And we will not let it seem unnecessary to us. But we will honor it. And we will use it in battle. We will speak it. I thank you in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.